morning. Good to see you today. Now, when a Texan named Roy Whetstone was considered blessed several years ago, uh, it was because he had not just three heart bypass surgeries. Maybe you'd consider yourself blessed if you had three successful bypass surgeries on your heart. Roy's had 10 bypass surgeries on his heart. So he considers himself pretty fortunate from that aspect, but it really wasn't that that made him known as blessed. It was actually later when he decided to travel to Tucson, Arizona. His father was ill, and he was debating on going to see him, and he finally said, you know, I really should. I'm not sure how he's doing. And so he traveled over to Tucson from Texas, and on the way, he stopped at this rock, gem, and mineral expo that he went to, and he was kind of a, a rock collector, so he actually asked his two young boys if they wanted to each give him $5 of their allowance money to see if he could find them a cool rock to bring home. And they thought, you know, they're, bo- they're, they're young boys. They're like, a cool rock that you can buy with money? Sure. Here, Dad, here's $5. So he took his $10 to this expo, and he decided to skip all the polished, you know, rocks, all the stones that were considered precious and the art, you know, the dealers that, that had the fancy displays. And instead, he just traveled right past those and he went over to the, the amateur collectors. And the amateur collectors, you can tell because they've got this four by eight table that's got too much dust on it and too much paint on it. And it's got shoe boxes and Tupperware dishes just filled with it with all these dust covered rocks inside it. And so he starts rummaging through these rocks and looking around and seeing if he can find something for his two boys. And all of a sudden, amidst these other rocks, he spots this small kind of potato-sized, dust-covered, lavender grayish stone that just has this hint of blue in it, just kind of a hint of light blue. And, and he, he picks it up, and it says, you know, in a little cardboard sign with magic marker, you know, rocks $15 and so he says you know you you want you want $15 for this rock and and the guy says you know it's not as pretty as the others I'll let you have it for $10 Roy cannot contain himself as he pays the $10 to the man for what his trained eye knows to be the largest star sapphire in the history of the world that has ever been discovered you can see it up on the screen right there. It is weighs in at 1,905 carats. I don't even know if a woman could hold a rock on her finger that would weigh that much. But it was valued, originally estimated, and appraised at $2.28 million. Now, America labeled him blessed or fortunate. News stations declared him a rags-to-riches story. He said, you know, I just feel blessed, and I want to set up, you know, I want to sell it and set up a trust fund for my boys so they can have a good life. Now, in this series where we talk about the kingdom, we're going to see how Jesus promises certain benefits to his followers who choose to be citizens of his kingdom. And we don't talk a lot 
about kingdoms anymore. We don't have a lot of knights or castles in America, but but today we're going to look at what Jesus says is the kingdom, what defines the kingdom, and what makes his kingdom unique, and, and why Jesus wants us to be a citizen of that kingdom. So first, let's just start with the basics of what defines a kingdom. When you think of a kingdom, do you immediately picture the, like, the Lego sets that say knights or castles or have lions on them? Or, or do you go to the Chronicles of Narnia books or movies where, where you see these different lands that they go to and they travel to these different domains in, in their world? Do you think of um, you know, the, the newer book slash movie, Divergent, and think about the different factions and how people can choose to live in these different factions? And each one of those is kind of like a kingdom. Well, a kingdom is certainly those things, but I think it's so much more than that. In fact, I would say that a kingdom is any place, any domain or realm that has four things. I'm going to put them up on the screen just because I think they're good to know. First of all, it has a powerful person that's going to lead it or influence it or rule over it. It's going to have a pattern of values in it, and it's going to have a program to implement those values, to see those core values come to life. And then that's going to produce like this desired outcome or this set of results upon living in this kingdom. If the, ch- if the citizens choose to live them in this way, this is what they can expect. If you've, if you've gotten into the um, show on Netflix, The Adventures of Merlin, I know it's a little bit dated, but, you know, the, the series finale was just happening, so it's still kind of relevant. In the series of Merlin, it talks about the young King Arthur, who's just a prince, who his father is kind of telling him how Camelot is operating, how this kingdom is supposed to work. And Arthur has these moments where he's like, well, when I'm king... That's not the Camelot that I want. He, he pictures this outcome of what the people will experience in this kingdom. I mean, think about all of these things put together equal the benefits of choosing to live in this kingdom. Quite accurately, I would say that this powerful person comes on the scene and, and gives good news about their kingdom. Think about the political ads that are on TV right now. Especially right now, because there's a lot of just party campaigns that are kind of slandering one person, and then they put up their powerful person, and they talk about their values, and and what the benefits are, and the program that they're going to implement, and then what you can expect the outcome to be if you vote for this person. If you think about, you know, Becky was just up here as a high school teacher. That, her classroom is her kingdom. It is a place where, where she's got a set of values that she wants to see in her classroom. And she has a program in order to see those values, like asking really, really philosophical questions, like, why were you late again? Um, she, she then talks about the desired outcome of her students if they choose to follow her way in her classroom and what the benefits will be to them. You know, I think we see this in the kingdom of sports all the time. Whenever a new coach comes on the scene, and I think we're going to have a new coach for the Twins, and we might have, we just are going to have a lot of new coaches in our Minnesota sports, but, you know, stay on track. When this, new, when this new coach comes in, or this new coach comes in at the professional level, or even at the collegiate level, they have a press conference, and this coach talks about 
who they are, and they talk about the principles that they deeply believe in, these values that they're going to instill in their team, and the program to make those things happen, and what people can expect the results of their reign as coach to be. And then when it doesn't happen, they usually get fired so that they can have a new coach come in and on the scene. And all of these times and all these places are just examples of what a kingdom is. Jesus comes on the scene and does exactly what every other governor, king, and ruler does in his time. And he shares the good news of his kingdom. I mean, look at Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, this is right before Jesus goes up on this mountain and gives this beautiful teaching that has been called the Sermon on the Mount that goes through three chapters. It probably takes about 15 to 20 minutes for him to kind of give verbally. And, and right before this, I think it says some interesting things that talk about this idea of how he's establishing a kingdom. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, or of the kingdom of God, and healing every kind of disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread everywhere among the people, all over Syria, and the people everywhere brought him all who were ill with various diseases, those who were suffering severe pain, that would be a physical, and those who were demon-possessed, that would be spiritual, those having seizures and those paralyzed. Again, these physical and spiritual things that at that time these people saw connected, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and all the region across the Jordan, basically this is all the lands God promised to give his people, are described in that verse. And the crowds followed him during the time where there was already an established kingdom called the Roman Empire. And there was already an established king called Caesar Augustus, or maybe the next one at at that time. So Jesus, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. Well, in that time, when you were a new king or an upsurging person that was gathering together a people, you went up into the mountains. When David was running for his life, where did he stay? He stayed in the mountains. The people that follow him choose to leave and go into the mountains because the mountains are the place where the rebels are. The mountains are the place where you can find safety from the established kingdom. And Jesus goes up in the mountains because he is, in a sense, a revolutionary who is going to bring a new kingdom. Now, certainly it means more than that, but for today, let's just go with that. And as we start this series, I want you to think about this reality of the kingdom and the values and the outcomes that Jesus is proposing here. As he starts his kingdom proclamation, may we hear it like he intended it to be. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of heaven belongs to them, maybe your translation says. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are all the meek, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again, the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Now, it's certainly more than that, and certainly he goes on, but for today, again, we're just going to start to scratch the surface and introduce this idea of what his kingdom is and what makes his kingdom unique. And he closes it off with, the kingdom of heaven belongs to them, or these are the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Now, think about these values that Jesus lifts up. Poor, mourning or sorrow, meekness or gentleness or weakness, hungering and thirsting is almost a discontentedness, mercy, purity, peacemaking, persecution, isolation. Now, these aren't the the things that come to the top of my list when I think about the values that I want. I don't think they're the things that, that were that Rome was lifting up. In fact, I think if you looked all throughout the kingdoms of the world, you would not find these values lifted up as the values to follow. That's why we're calling them up values. These actually seem like they're down values. So what is challenging about this? I mean, when, when you hear these verses, blessed are this, and blessed are this, and blessed are these people, what, I mean, I think one of the problems is is that it, we grew up with, some of us grew up with religious people in our life, well-intentioned ones, probably our grandparents, who had these, these statements framed in their homes. Blessed, you know, are the pure in heart. Well, they will see God. And we, we all, we don't really know what that means. Or maybe you have kind of a, 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 a good person, but maybe they're just a little wacky um, in, in your office and and they have a screensaver of, of this. And blessed are the righteous, or blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. And it kind of scrolls across their screen. And they, but they just act just a little bit weird. And so you're like, mm, I, I don't really understand how this relates. This seems to be something that's, that's far off or something that, that's really vague. And I can't quite grasp it. And the reality is that the the believers of that time, the people that were faithful to God, they understood the kingdom of God to be this place where God reigns and rules over the heavens and the earth. And so that meant that it was going to be this far-off future reality someday when God sends his Messiah in and he he beats the kingdoms of the world, then establishes this place. It's it's very far-off. But it's, it's, it's a someday, but we just don't know when. And there's truth to that. But when Jesus comes on the scene, he is saying way more than that too. He's saying, no, 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 I'm not just a powerful person. I am the powerful person that is going to bring this new pattern of values that I've just given you and a new program to implement those values to see this desired outcome. The results that I talk about, for example, belonging to the kingdom of heaven or seeing God or being satisfied or, or living right. And so... 
he's saying this, these are the benefits, and they can be experienced now and forever. But it's, I'm coming on the scene now, and I'm healing people, and I'm proclaiming this, and I'm seeing people be freed spiritually and physically. I'm demonstrating and declaring what this kingdom looks like, and you can choose to live in it now. But I would say it's unique. He says his outcomes are blessed, blessedness, greatness, happiness, prosperity. This is all kind of the, in the realm of this joy or this good life that we would, that we would lift up. These would be, the, the outcome would be, if you lift up these values, you get this. Now, now, this word blessing in our day and age has, has been a term that's been used almost, almost as much as love. You, you see celebrities get on uh, TV and talk about th- something that happened, and they'll just say, oh, I'm so blessed. And, and you'll see a religious person get up on TV um, or a, a tele-evangelist or something and say, oh, I'm, s- I'm so blessed, or I'm blessed because of this. And, and so we, we kind of aren't sure exactly what the word means. But at the time of Jesus, everyone used the word blessed, associated with greatness. Every kingdom, like especially Egypt, Greece, and Rome, they didn't use the word blessed for humanity. They used the word blessed for all of the gods and goddesses that they had. And that meant that they had dignity and power. Again, these would be values that they would hold up for greatness, dignity, and power. Now think about the things that we lift up, have they changed in two or 3,000 years? I would say no, but, but we'll spend some weeks on it. I'm just, we'll just quickly go to the kingdoms of the world, much like the kingdoms past, and I would say the kingdoms present, and I would say the kingdoms future. And in fact, I would say that any kingdom that's not Jesus' kingdom would hold up values as their up values of power, wealth, Strength, possessions, winning, popularity, recognition. And, and that's just a couple on the list. And, and we'll talk about the rest uh, uh, as the weeks to come. But what I want you to consider today is that Jesus' kingdom stands in complete contrast to our natural human desires and to the natural human kingdoms of the world. Um, Louis, you had a, I had a paper bag of stuff that you were helping me with. Could you bring that up? I mean, the natural person does not lift up poverty in spirit. They do not lift up gentleness or persecution or sorrow. Thank you so much. In fact, I would say that, that the laws of biology state the survival of the fittest, which means the strongest. And the laws of psychology state you know, put your own face mask on in the airplane before assisting others. And look out for number one, if you will. And, and the laws of economy state that the rich prosper. Now, these might all be true statements in the natural world, but these are not the values that Jesus is lifting up. So why would he want us to live in this kingdom? Put it another way is, what is the upside of down, of all the things that the world would describe as down values. Why would we choose to be a citizen of Jesus' kingdom? 
because we can. We can experience that now and forever. Well, Jesus says, look at my values and then look at my desired outcomes. I mean, if you value and build your life on popularity and recognition, what the world would hold up, then then you have to realize that at some point, that recognition is going to fade, sag, or shrivel up. I was watching one of the late night talk shows, um, you know, the Carson or whatever guys that are my, they're, they're both NSL, former Saturday Night Live people. And um, the Seth, Seth Myers, I think is Seth, he, he was talking, he had two guests on and they were describing, they were, they, they were doing a little talk game show thing that was supposed to be funny and the word, the, the phrase was Tom Cruise. The person was Tom Cruise and they were supposed to try and guess who Tom Cruise was. And these two people went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and they could not guess Tom Cruise because he hasn't, made anything in the last five years that we recognize and and the shelf life in a Hollywood actor must just be less than that. If you place all your value in winning and you build your life on accomplishments, then guess what? If you do that, you can get some cool trophies. Isn't that neat? Symposium Talent Contest, regional first place, 2000. And and I think that was for, for music. Symposium, that sounds kind of musical. And then this one has this really, this cool picture of a a three or four legged, uh, I'm going to think woman, maybe it's a ballerina. You can come look at it later. First place, um, dance competition, not mine. I'm pretty sure it's Leah's. But, you know, you can get these and there's only a little bit of dust on it now. And it's, it's genuine gold imitation paint on plastic. And, and you can, you know, feel good about that. We just had a conversation in our house about, I, I want a trophy. You know, and I, I got to, my, we, we moved recently. My, anytime we move or shuffle things around, my mom takes the opportunity to bring a box of things that I've collected because I was a collector. Maybe you're a collector. So I've got the 17 medals um, and, and ribbons, lots of white ones, um, Third place, if you're not <laughs> in this box, and she brings this box over, and I'm like, oh, but it doesn't quite give the success and the feeling of success or the recognition that it did. And it's not that these things are bad; it's that if we build our life on them, they will let us down, and the one shiny trophies will gather dust. And if we value and build our life on wealth, well, think about that. I mean, if you have a way to get riches and you get some, you can live above the normal worries and concerns of of regular people or of lower class people. Think about it. I mean, number one, if you value and if you want to feel the results of abundant legroom and spacious elbow areas with a cushy wide seat, you travel first class. And I tell you, I've gotten bumped a couple times. It is amazing. I mean, really, the, the legroom is just incredible. I can stick my... Anyway, if you drive a nice car, okay? We won't get distracted with first class. But if you drive a nice car, you can take a corner at 15 to 20 miles an hour and not fear that something is going to fall off your car and put you and yourself and others in danger. 
you can sleep in a climate-controlled house where it can be warm in the winter and cool in the summer. And you can never, ever have to worry that you won't have enough food in the cupboards or in the refrigerator. And considering that almost half the world's population lives on less than $2 a day, I would say that many of us have riches. And if all there is to life is no eternity, if now is all there is, then why wouldn't we go for these things? Why wouldn't we try and get more stuff and have more recognition and see more of these more money and more comfort. And, and even, even Roy, I just want to sell this rock and put a trust fund together for my kids so that they can have a good life. But Jesus says, blessed are the poor, maybe blessed are the poor in spirit. So maybe being rich doesn't come from wealth. Certainly, there have been celebrity after celebrity after celebrity that had riches and committed suicide. It just doesn't seem to bring the results that, that we want. And Jesus paints these pictures of the kingdom of God through these stories or these parables. And so each week, we're going to look at one of these beatitudes, they're called, these, these statements that Jesus gives about his kingdom, and then he gives a parable or a story that, that would kind of accompany this. And and this one that he, one of his early stories that he shares is this statement, or this really short story that says, the kingdom of God, Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that's hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in joy, he went out and sold everything he had and he bought that field. And then Jesus often says, he who has ears, let him hear. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that's hidden. It's covered by layers of stuff. But when a man found it, he went out in his joy and he sold everything, gave everything away so that he could buy that field. Have you ever experienced the joy of giving something away, giving so much away, only to receive something more valuable? Five years ago, I got to go to this little village called Las Chilcas de San Ramon. Everybody that's within, that's more than 10 miles away from this city would not know about this city, would not travel to this city. It's a forgotten place. But these 200 or so people that live in this city have almost nothing, but many of them have joy. For a week, I got to work side by side with men, two of which were my partners, picking axes to dig out rocks and shoveling them out of the way. And, and two of them worked themselves into sickness and couldn't finish the job because they had a dream of having clean water, actually for the first time ever, like a pipe of clean water coming to their house. And they would gladly do it again. Every night, we were fed like we were kings. People spent a year's worth of salary for one meal to have a relationship with us and say they were so grateful that, that we were there. 
There were no distractions of, of electricity, of, of visual signs, or of, of TV, of entertainment that, that really got in the way, added a layer, if you will, to the things that we were experiencing in God's kingdom. I would gladly spend more and more to experience that again. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying his kingdom is hard, hard, hard to see on the surface. It's kind of hidden. In fact, it's covered under layers of stuff. And yet, it's totally present. And it's awaiting us to see it, recognize it, and have a radical response to it. Where in your life are you seeing things like this? This is why we started this church. This is why when God said, I want you to do this, and people said yes, and I went, oh my gosh, but it's going to be hard, and oh my gosh, I have to give away this, and I have to do this, and I have to trust you with this. Yes, because there are layers and layers of dirt and of stuff that people have. Layers of stuff that I have that get in the way of me seeing the kingdom of God. It's not that these things are evil. It's that when we build our life on them, when we put our significance in them, when the layers of money and possessions and hobbies and jobs get in the way of us really seeing who Jesus is, and I would say being needy, what they do is they make us self-confident and self-reliant so that we don't need anything. And Jesus said, blessed are you who are poor because you have nothing to get in the way. This is not lower class when Jesus says, blessed are you who are poor. This is not the working poor. This is not even the people who live below the poverty level. This is people who don't know every day whether they will be able to find what they need for the basic necessities of life. These are people that would have to go on the streets and beg. That's who Jesus is lifting up. Beggars. People who are destitute. People who have nothing. He says the kingdom belongs, belongs to them. When I think about the results that I want at the end of my life, destitute is not one of them. You got a card in your worship folder, and the worship team is going to come up, and, and as they do, I want you to take a look and look at that. It should say maybe desired outcomes or desired results. It's a card I would ask you to, to look at, to think about, but then actually to actually start writing down. Maybe the Spirit of God is going to prompt you to say, what do I want the results of my life to be? And will the values I have produce those outcomes? Jesus is waiting for our response. When he says, blessed are the poor, he's saying that that you who have nothing, the upside, if you will, of having nothing is that you have nothing to hinder you, nothing to get in the way of you living the way of Jesus, of, of being 
needy and bankrupt in the spirit means that you know that you can't earn your way to God. You know you can't do anything to buy status or buy security with God. You could only beg for God's mercy. That's the upside of being poor. Do you beg for God to be real in your life? For these statements to not be some religious platitude, but to be a relationship with Jesus where every day he says, you're blessed. You belong in my kingdom. You don't have to earn your way in. I will provide for you in ways beyond your wildest dreams. Now I know that living that out is very challenging. But I know that Jesus will meet us in it. And I invite us to think about really what it looks like for us, what Jesus says is seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then everything will be given. One of Jesus' followers named Paul, he had lots of things that he could count his life as riches, lots of things that could give him status. And he says, I once thought these things were valuable, but I now consider them worthless. In fact, because of what Christ has done, I consider just knowing him the infinite value of knowing him as my Lord, and everything else is nothing as garbage. Are you able to take or leave? Well, are you able to use money but not be abused by money. To understand the resource can be open-handed, freely given and freely taken away. But you are not ruled by it because you belong in a different kingdom. Friends, if we do that, and when we do that, we have true joy. We have the hope of, of Jesus. We have the layers that come out of the way and get out of the way. And every month we do this with this food on the first. 100 pounds about are donated every month. They go to people that don't know day to day whether they are going to get enough food. Every month. We, our outreach team is sponsoring these single mom dinners. Bless these women that every day, every month, aren't sure if they're going to have enough to feed their family. When we get together in community and we study together and we pray together and we laugh together and we cry together in, in our life groups and in our other connecting opportunities, we are reminded that we need God. These are the ways we can experience joy. These are the things that we can find if we seek Him together. Just like Roy realized that riches could be found in ordinary dust-covered rocks if we simply recognize it and respond to the offer. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that you, God, would use your word, your revelation, God, and that we would live in response to it. I pray that we would think about what we want the results of our life to be. That we would really think about the true spiritual results of Jesus' life and what he offers to us in his kingdom. God, we can choose to be a kingdom, live as a, a citizen of this world, or we can choose to live as a citizen of your kingdom today. Lead us, guide us, show us what we're holding on to too tightly. 
Help us to be desperate. Help us to be needy. God, if we come today and we wonder what it means to make you king, I pray that we would accept you as king. Because we can't do anything to earn our way to you, we can only receive you. Jesus, you paved the way. You, you lived a perfect life. You died a holy death, an unjust death, and you rose from the grave to conquer sin and conquer evil and conquer Satan. And we have life in you if we choose to believe that. Today, we can choose to believe that. I pray for anyone who hasn't chosen to believe that, that they would do that today. And for the rest of us, that we would we would live your values to see your outcomes, to see your kingdom on heaven be in us on earth.